0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: 1 Samuel, chapter 25, beginning at verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Manon, a certain man in Manon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. she was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not ill-treat them, and the whole time they were in Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favourable towards my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men who are coming from who knows where? David's men turned round and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. About four hundred men went up with David, while two hundred stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us all the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them onto donkeys. Then she told her servants, Go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. David had just said, It's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. But as for me your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offence, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day, and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David, accepted from her hand, what she had brought to him, and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, His wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord, who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt he has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife.
0: As we are, let's remain standing. I'll pray for us. We have been praying as we've been singing that you would indeed change us. We sang earlier that we would stand in awe of you. We pray, Heavenly Father, we'd not only stand in awe of you because you are a God who is mighty and powerful, but in awe of your gracious loving kindness to us. As we see that this morning in your word, we ask you to melt our hearts that we may live for you more the way we should, bringing you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. Let me encourage you to do two things. One is to uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, the reading that Rachel read for us just earlier. uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25, page 297 is the page number. The other thing you might like to do is to dig out the little um, handout. Uh, the, uh, it's, a sort of, it's not so much a sermon outline as a sort of series of headlines uh, through uh, the, the talk, and uh, you might like to dig that out. There's a quote or two on there as well that I'll be referring to. May I uh, do this with you as we begin? I'd uh, like to ask you, if you would, to recall a time when you've been deliberately snubbed, uh, ignored. Uh, when you've been humiliated by someone. Uh, and uh, as you do that, I want to ask you how you felt uh, when that happened. Indeed, to try and bring those feelings back. Uh, I want to ask you, perhaps, if you can, to think about the times when you've been snubbed and badly treated by someone that you had treated well. Maybe someone in your family, someone very close to you, perhaps. And again, I want to ask you how you felt when that happened. I dare say you were hurt, uh, probably angry, with a desire to get even, wanting justice. Now, remembering the strength of those emotions, let me ask you this. How do you expect God to respond when he is ignored and snubbed? Uh, The God who gives us every good thing we enjoy in life, who does good to us every day in sending the sunshine and the rain, at the moment more rain than sunshine, but it's still good, giving us the beauty of creation and the joy of loving relationships, who gives us the food we eat and the air that we breathe, the God who treats us well. More than that, who who is lavish in his kindness towards us, not least of all in sending his own son to die for us to bring us forgiveness and eternal life. He is the God of the entire universe and yet he treats us well. How might you expect him to respond when we treat him badly? Snubbing him, ignoring him, dishonoring him again and again and again as we all do to a greater or lesser extent. Now that is the very issue that I believe is front and centre of the events of 1 Samuel chapter 25. In this whole section of 1 Samuel we've seen David who is, remember, the Lord's anointed, or literally the Christ, on his painful path to the throne. Uh, From chapter 23 to chapter 26, all this is on the little handout. David the Christ is in the desert and facing temptations. And as we've seen over these weeks, as we look at David the Christ with a small c, it points us towards David's greater son, the Lord Jesus. The real Christ, who himself suffered and who was tempted in every way, as we are, yet was without sin. Now, here in chapter 25, we're introduced to two new characters in verses two and three. First, there's Nabal. He was very rich. He owned considerable land and livestock. And we're told, the end of verse three, he was surly and mean. Very important to get that. Oh, and incidentally, his name, Nabal, means fool. Nabal was married to Abigail, Abigail. She was no fool, verse 3. She was intelligent and beautiful, a real stunner. Having been introduced to the characters, we're straight into the story. Verse 4 While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, so he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Sheep shearing time was festival time, a time to party. But David and his followers were on the run from King Saul, they were far from home, living in a cave. So they asked Nabal for a gift, uh, something, anything, I guess, so they could enjoy the festival. In verses six to eight, David told ten young men to go to Nabal, greet him politely, show him honour, and then remind Nabal that all the time David and his men had been in the desert region, they'd protected Nabal's sheep and his shepherds, not stealing a thing. In short, David has been very good to Nabal. And having been so good to Nabal, now David was asking Nabal to repay such kindness by giving him food and supplies. And so verse nine, when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Now, this is Nabal, true to his name, acting like an idiot. Don't misread this. Nabal's questions in verse 10 are not genuine questions about who David is. This isn't, oh, David, I don't really know. It's not that at all. Nabal knew exactly who David was. David was famous throughout the land. I think I put the uh, reference on the the handout. Uh, Nabal uh, calls him Jesse's son in verse 10. He knew exactly who he was, all right. And we see a bit later in the story, Nabal's wife, Abigail, knew exactly who David was. So in verse 10, Nabal is putting David down, treating him with contempt and dishonor. Just as we saw at the end of verse three, Nabal was surly. Here he is being exactly what he was. Oh, and also he was mean. And we see that in verse 11. He's acting thoroughly, selfishly. Listen again as I read verse 11, how the words I and my dominate the sentence. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to someone else? Here's Nabal just being himself, rude, tight and a complete idiot. David has been very good to Nabal and in return, Nabal snubbed him. So verse 12, David's men returned and reported, you see, their every word to David. I can just hear them saying to David, you wouldn't believe what he said and how he said it. He is such an arrogant pig. David was outraged, verse 13. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords. David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with their supplies. Now look, this is a key moment in the story. Uh, Please, as we read this, be sure to grasp, this is not just a couple of men with high testosterone levels having a bit of a spat. You know, us men can be like that. Remember, David is the Lord's anointed. He is the Lord's Christ. Nabal has mistreated the Lord's Christ, even though the Christ has been very good to him. Nabal has been rude to him and is thoroughly selfish, self-centered and self-absorbed. So at this point, David, who is the Christ, but he's not the perfect Christ. No, the perfect Christ is to come. But at this point, David is tempted to bring God's judgment on Nabal. At one level, it's, it's entirely what Nabal desire, deserves. He is a fool. Uh, it, that's what his name means. It does beg the question why his parents called him that, but anyway, that's another thing altogether. Um, but you know, Psalm 14 tells us the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's what Nabal is doing. He's denying God. He's dishonoring the Lord's Christ and he should be punished for that. It would be entirely justified for the Lord's Christ to bring God's judgment crashing down upon Nabal. But remember this, David is the Christ. At this moment, he's suffering. He's suffering the shame of being scorned and dishonored. For the last seven chapters, and goodness knows how many months or years that represents, David has been suffering the constant threat of death from Saul. So here is the Christ suffering on his way to the throne, And just as we saw last week, at this point, David could act to end the suffering, to end the suffering of being treated with such contempt. He could make his life easy. He could show his power, show that he is king. Tim Chester makes the point very well, and uh, I've put this uh, on the bottom of page one of the handout. David can skip this life of suffering. He can end this prejudice and betrayal. He can take justice into his own hands, and he will be king that's the temptation before david can you feel the tension on the one hand nabal deserves everything coming to him he deserves the full force of david's wrath david has been good to him and in return nabal has been disrespectful and mean but on the other hand we have to ask is it the way of the christ to bring judgment on those who mistreat him this is a key moment on david's path to the throne And the way things pan out all hinges on the intervention of an unnamed servant and then of Nabal's wife, Abigail. Look at verse 14. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us. And the whole time we were out in in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us all the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. The words of the servant confirm everything that David had said. David and his followers had been very good to Nabal and his men protecting the shepherds and his sheep. David has treated Nabal well, and in return, Nabal has treated him very badly. And so Nabal and his whole household are in deep trouble. And here we see just how smart Abigail is. Verses 18 and 19, she doesn't waste a second. She gathered together a huge hamper. This would be a great hamper to have at the picnic next week. 200 loaves of bread, bottles of wine, delicious lamb, roast grain, hundreds of raisin cakes and fig cakes. She packed them all up, loaded them on donkeys and sent her servants with the laden donkeys off to meet David and his men. And crucially, end of verse 19, she didn't tell her husband Nabal. She was far too smart for that. And so as David and his 400 men were making their way to Nabal's place to give him what for, before they reached Nabal's property, Abigail and her heavy laden donkeys met them at the mountain ravine, verse 20. Oh, David was seething. Listen to him muttering murderous threats in verse 21. David had just said, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. I'm ashamed to say I can hear myself doing exactly the same thing. Jumping in the car to try and sort something out and saying to myself, I can't believe it. I've done the right thing by that man. I've cared for him. I've been good to him, gone out of my way for him. All I ask for is something little in return and the tight-fisted little weasel won't even lift a finger for me. And he even insults me. David was livid. Nabal was gonna get it both barrels. Who knows, David may have said those words in verse 21 and 22 so loudly that Abigail heard them. Well, whether she did or not, smart, intelligent woman that she was, Abigail again responded quickly. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground, fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame blame be on me alone. Abigail gives David the respect that Nabal failed to give him. And then she asked permission to address David. See, for halfway through verse 24, please let your servant speak to you hear what your servant has to say may my lord pay no attention to that wicked man Nabal. he is just like his name his name is fool, and folly goes with him abigail said what many a wife has had to say through history don't listen to my husband he's an idiot and then look at what she says verse 26 abigail says don't have the blood of people on your hands let vengeance be the lord's now that is crucial Because that same phrase comes three times. It comes here, it comes a bit later in her speech and David says it again. This is the issue. Don't have the blood of people on your hands. Let vengeance be the Lord's. Verse 27, she offers David the gift of food carried by the donkeys, the very thing that he'd asked from Nabal. And then she asked for forgiveness. And crucially, she asked for forgiveness based on David's future dynasty. As I read this, listen to how she has great confidence that David is going to become king. We might say she has great faith, trusting in the promises that have already been made to David. Look at verse 28 please forgive your servant's offense for the lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the lord's battles net let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live even though someone is pursuing you to take your life the life of my servant will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the lord your god but the lives of your enemies he'll hurl away as from the pocket of a sling When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience, here it is again, the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my servant success, remember your servant. There's so much going on in this speech. Abigail is sure that David is the Lord's anointed, that the Lord will protect David, that David will be king. And Abigail rightly says, since David, you reign as God's king, you must not be one who sheds blood innocently or who takes vengeance into his own hands. It is a remarkable speech with remarkable insight. We might say full of great faith. Abigail knew who David was and Abigail trusted the Lord's Christ to be righteous and upright. And because of her words, we see in verse 32 to 35 that David is changed from bloodletting rage to calm thankfulness. Look especially at verse 33. We'll see this great phrase again. Verse 33, may you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. That's what Abigail achieved. She stopped David from shedding blood and from vengeance. That was his temptation. But David, the Lord's anointed, the Christ, didn't take revenge, and it was crucial that he didn't. Listen again to Tim Chester's words. We're over the page now, about halfway down. This time, the whole quote. Same quote, but I'm going to complete it. David can skip this life of suffering. He can end this prejudice and betrayal. He can take justice into his own hands and he will be king. But that is not God's way. If David does not learn mercy, what kind of king will he become? Through Abigail's intervention, David didn't fall to the temptation to destroy his enemies. He learned to show mercy. He left vengeance to the Lord. And as we've seen over these weeks, this all points us to the real Christ, the Lord Jesus. You see, he too suffered throughout his life. He was kind and good to those he met. Do you not see that when you read the Gospels? This Lord Jesus who treated everyone well. But in return, people treated him badly. They dishonored him. The religious leaders looked for ways to have him arrested. They took him through a kangaroo court and have him sentenced to death. He was even betrayed by a friend. And how do you think he felt? Being snubbed and ignored and humiliated. You know how he felt because you felt it. And listen to these words from the book of Hebrews. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. So just as we are tempted when we are snubbed to want to get revenge, we can know that Jesus would have been tempted to take revenge. And we know he could have. When he was arrested, he could have annihilated his opponents. Look, look keep your finger in one Samuel. We're gonna come back to it in just a moment. But come with me to Matthew chapter 26 to see this, if you will. Matthew chapter 26. It's a page 997 if you've got a church Bible. If you've got your own Bible, Matthew 26, verse 47. Now, as I read this, here we are um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to be arrested. And see what he does. Matthew 26, verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one eye kisses the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judah said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Do you see, Jesus' followers drew their swords, but Jesus told them to put away. He didn't need anyone to fight his battles for him. Jesus had 12 legions of angels at his disposal. Now when we talk about angels, don't think little Christmas tree decorations or angelic childlike beings dressed in a white tablecloth. Uh, Angels were powerful and mighty beings. Just remember how the appearance of just one angel scared hardened shepherds witless. Angels are powerful and mighty beings and Jesus, do you see it there, had 12 legions of angels at his disposal. Now a Roman legion consisted of Just over 5,000 men. So Jesus had 60,000 angels at his beck and call. He could have annihilated his enemies in a second. And he would have been tempted to do just that because he was tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. And so he didn't do that. Rather, he showed his enemies mercy. That's the kind of king he is. That's the kind of God we have, one who came to save. In his first coming, he did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Oh, the time of judgment will come. But in the meantime, Jesus is in the business of forgiveness, and those who belong to him, you and me, must be about the same business of forgiveness acting to bring peace and reconciliation between the Lord's anointed and those who treated him badly. That's what Abigail did. She talked to the Lord's Christ and asked him for forgiveness and mercy. It's what we should be about as we follow the Christ. We should want people who've ignored the Christ to come to know this one who came to save them, even those who've snubbed him and dishonored him, even those who've snubbed us and hurt us. We should want for them to know the Christ who came to save us and them. It's exactly what we see in Abigail. As we turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 25, see how the story ended. Having spoken to David, Abigail returned home. But verse 36, when Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk, so she told him nothing until daybreak. You see, that kind of sums up Nabal. He was acting like a king. That was the problem with Nabal. Selfish, self-centered, he thinks he is king. That's why he rejected the King David. That's why people reject Jesus today, because they think they're king of their little lives. So there's Nabal acting like a fool, thinking he's king and completely hammered. And so Abigail being an intelligent woman didn't tell Nabal what she'd done that day not while he was in that state but verse 37 in the morning when Nabal was sober his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone about 10 days later the Lord struck Nabal and he died the Lord brought judgment upon Nabal and it is crucial that we understand this We've seen how the Lord's anointed, the Christ, is gracious and kind and merciful even to his enemies. How the Christ, the Lord Jesus, came not to condemn but to save those who reject him. But if we refuse to turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, if we refuse to take the forgiveness that he offers, then judgment will come. And that's what happened to Nabal. But it doesn't have to be like this. This is the point of the story. We can be like Abigail who asked forgiveness and at the end of the chapter is brought into David's family. So let me ask you, have you ever done that? Have you ever admitted your guilt before God and asked that through Jesus you'd be forgiven? Have you ever asked for a fresh start? Have you ever asked to be brought into Jesus's family? And if you've never done that, can I ask you, why not? Why would you want to snub the Christ who has been good to you? He treats you well every day. Every good thing that you have comes from him. He loves you. He died for you. Why would you not want to be his friend? And if his kindness and love for you doesn't persuade you, then please be sure that snubbing him is a very dangerous thing to do. It is to put yourself under the judgment of God because you're refusing the one way you can be forgiven rejecting his son you become god's enemy i have here a little picture of my children i keep it in my wallet so it doesn't see the light of day that often uh, but whenever i look at it I, I i i even now i feel quite warm fuzzy feelings towards them of their little rascals but i love them so much let me tell you if you treat them badly you become my enemy That night might not bother you at all to be an enemy of mine. I'm only five foot six and a half, and the half is important when you've only got five foot six and a half. And my bark is worse than my bite, I'm not really going to do you any harm. So it might not bother you at all to be an enemy of mine. But it's not good to be an enemy of God's. But be sure if you reject his son, that's what you make yourself. And there will be a day of reckoning, a day of judgment. And like Dable, it can come in an instant. In an instant, your heart can fail you. Have you ever been snubbed? Ignored? Humiliated? Can you remember what it feels like? The anger? That longing for justice? Jesus Christ knew that feeling. But out of his great love for us, he resisted the temptation to avenge himself. Instead, he showed great mercy and remarkable loving kindness, dying for those who deserve judgment. What a God! Let's pray together. Our Father, we sang it and we prayed it that we would stand in awe of you and we ask that you would indeed engender in us that sense of awe, not just of you being mighty and powerful, but of your remarkable loving kindness of the astonishing love demonstrated to those of us, each of us who snubs you and rebels against you. We ask you please to so melt our hearts with that great truth of the kind of God you are uh, that it would change us and transform us that we may live the sort of lives we should live. And we ask all these things through Christ our, our Lord. Amen.